0: Well, still me, by myself without Tom, uh, who's still on holiday. I satiated my boredom last time by talking to my wife, and today I'm going to be talking to you, because we asked you to post some questions for us. And um, across the various different platforms, there were around a thousand. Uh, I won't lie, I didn't read all of them, but I did read a lot of them, and we've taken a selection here, kind of at random really, to answer today. So let's get started. Um, Spaghetti asks... I want to know the Grail watch from the hands. So this is on the assumption that I can have a collection of watches and this would be my favourite of all of them. It would probably have to be the Allang 1815 chronograph. I know there are potentially more complicated watches and perhaps even higher end watches, but for me the... 1815 chronograph was the watch that made me realise there was more than Rolex and Patek Philippe and, and all the brands that I was aware of and I started to see, oh hang on, there's, there's a lot of other stuff going on here and was the gateway to discovering brands like uh, Philippe Dufour and the like. So I think that would be the one for me. Inner patience asks, what are some of the bigger trends you see developing in the watch space? Um, to be honest, the biggest trend I see, aside from things like colour and size and stuff like that, is a a trend towards having more and more watches in collections, making things harder to choose from, making more choice overall. And I'd, I'd really like to see the opposite. I'd like to see consolidation. I'd like to see brands being more confident with the pieces that they're making, slimming it down a bit, making it easier to choose from. Independence Ok7286 asks, What's one really hyped watch that has disappointed you? Um, it's going to have to be the triple split. Lol, joke. Um, to be honest, I'm a pretty cynical guy, and so when it comes to hype, I tend to err on the side of caution. So usually something is either as disappointing as I expected, or it's better than I expected. So probably a negative outlook, but it's served me well so far. Accursed user asks, "How are you?" I'm very well, thank you. I hope you are too. Baguette omelette asks, "What is your lighting setup?" It looks so amazing. Well, thank you very much. Um, we do get quite a lot of questions asking about the lighting and camera setup, predominantly about the camera. Uh, we shoot with Blackmagic cameras. They give us the opportunity to shoot in RAW. When you've got things that are very reflective, it's good to be able to capture all of the detail in that um, in the highlights. And the Blackmagic RAW allows us to do that. But really, a lot of the look comes from the lighting. And we do have a fairly simple lighting setup, it has to be said. A uh, big diffusion close up to the watch with a spotted light targeted where we want it to be. And then a little bit of reflective fill kicking back around it just to pick up the shadows on the other side. If you were to see it, you would probably be a little bit disappointed. Bianjo asks, how did you develop a love for watches? Also, how did you get your current position? Almost one and the same, really. As as many of you know, I used to be a civil engineer. And um, being someone who was interested in engineering, that inevitably led me to watches as well. Uh, I I purchased my first Rolex when I graduated, my civil engineering degree, which I did during work. And uh, that, that was when a Rolex was affordable like that. But what I didn't really like was how the civil engineering was going. It was very bureaucratic, a lot of red tape. So I saw a job being advertised with Watchfinder to write about watches, doing watch descriptions and things. And I'm also a writer, I've I've written a few novels, Um, feel free to go find them. So I applied for the job, I I spoke to them, and I said like, hey, why don't we do something more? Why don't we write stuff that people would like to read, not just descriptions about watches, but reviews and whatnot. And that's sort of where the job came from, and I've just been growing that ever since. Silver Fox ST says, do you feel like there's a recent resurgence in appreciation for quartz watches? There definitely will be. If you think about the 50 year circle of collectability that happens with the uh, auction houses and the collectors who are buying up stuff that's moving into vintage, we are, we're talking about 70s watches, APs, Nautiluses, things like that. We're going to start moving into the quartz watches of the 70s and 80s soon. Those original quartz watches will start to become auction favourites and I think the brands will start to reevaluate their approach to quartz. MT Bone says, Are those really your hands in the videos? Yes, yes they are. We don't have hand model budget, don't be ridiculous. Samuel Michelson asks, What do you have in your watch collection? Um, I recently recapped that in a a video with my wife, Uh, if you're interested you can pop back and watch that and find out. Dominic Lee asks, how do you know you're buying the right watch? You don't really, there's a number of different metrics you can try and follow, there's how do you feel about it, does it excite you, does it tick all the boxes in terms of emotional response, is it affordable, are you getting the best deal? Is it available nearby? Does it do all the right things from a practical perspective as well? If it does all of those things, it's going to be a good watch, probably. Doesn't necessarily mean it's the right watch, because who's determining whether it's right or wrong? That would suggest some sort of fate. Han Wang asks, Why hasn't wood been more incorporated as a material in high-end watchmaking? We did see that with Rolex in the 80s when they were trying to break through into the luxury watch space and presumably they thought that nice wood meant luxury so they put that in the dial and we've seen that with Ralph Lauren more recently but I guess if you want to make a watch, you want to make it look like it's going to last for a very long time and watches are made of metal really wood perhaps feels a bit too fragile, a bit too uh, delicate for the kind of life that a watch is going to lead. Dekab asks, Which three brands do you believe offer the best value and the best designs under $1,000? Quite simply, really, you're going to want to look for good designs, good heritage, good quality, uh, and also the practical stuff. You want it to be a brand that's not going to disappear in the next year or so. So I would say Longines, Hamilton, and Seiko. Good all-rounders for that money. Nix asks, What is your opinion on keeping high-end watches purely as an investment? I know a lot of people don't like that, but really, my opinion is indifferent. They are luxury toys. At the end of the day, we we don't need them. And if someone wants to buy them for an investment and never wear them, that's their deal. I personally would be sad not to wear the watches that I have, um, but equally, I would be happy for my watches to go up in value. So it's not really something that I would judge... The only real downside that affects me is the availability of product, but ultimately the success of the industry benefits us in a broader sense, even if it doesn't mean that we can get Rolexes easily. So I like to keep my opinion out of it, really. Danger Industries asks, What makes watches look outdated and what makes them timeless like a Submariner? What Rolex has managed to do really well with its its watches is to keep them designed with the same mentality that they've always been designed for functionality. Yes, they've become a bit more polished and they feature materials like ceramic and stuff like that these days, but overall they don't add needless fluff. When, When things are added for style and trend, trends go in and out of fashion, that's when stuff gets dated. If something is added just purely for looks, I think that's when you run the risk of not having a timeless design. Steve Fox asks... Do you still ride a motorcycle? Uh, I was knocked off my motorcycle many years ago and busted my ACL and PCL in one knee, so no thank you. Alan Jacob asks, what would be the best possible way to build a career in the watch industry? Now pretty much everyone that I speak to who is in the watch industry has a personal passion for the product, and I would say having that passion is going to get you a long, long way. Just talking to people at the brands, getting in touch with them, finding them on LinkedIn, and sending in your CV and demonstrating your passion, is really the way to do it. The way I got the job with Watchfinder was to not just say, yes, I'm applying for your job, but to demonstrate uh, examples of my writing around watches for them to experience, so they could see firsthand that what I was saying about my passion was demonstrated with real tangible examples. And i say that's the best way to try and crack that industry. Matts Coldwyn asks, how do you decide which watches feature on the channel? Well, to be honest, it's it's not too complicated a procedure. We obviously have access to a vast number of watches in the Watchfinder collection, and um, at the beginning of the week, we see what interesting things have popped in through the front door. We also work with other brands, from expensive to, to affordable, for them to send us stuff, But ultimately, what we pick is just what we fancy doing. There's there's nothing really more complicated than that. Oliver Jackson asks, Will you be making more budget watch videos? Yeah, absolutely. People respond very well to them. They do really well. And it's really good to see what some of the affordable watchmakers are doing out there, be they big or small. So absolutely. Etienne Bidoux asks, Is it okay to go to a watch store and ask to try on some watches without being sure that I'll make a purchase? Absolutely it is. These kinds of products for most people aren't the things you just wander and look at and go, oh yeah, here you go, here's a load of money. You try them on, you think about it, you try them on again, you try on other watches. It could be a purchase that takes you years. That's absolutely fine. The guys selling watches know they're in it for the long haul with customers, and building up a good rapport with them is actually going to benefit them more in the long, long run as they sell more watches to you in the future. Obviously, that's caveated by the, the sentiment that no salesperson is going to want to have someone coming in again and again and again and again, trying on stuff over and over and over again, never to buy it. But use your common sense. Think about how you would react to that and make sure you do the happy medium. Ariane Krishna Rastogi asks, when will this price bubble pop? I'll be honest, I've got no idea. It's crazy to think that prices have gone up as much as they have in such a short time, and I can't imagine how those can keep going up, but I also can't imagine what would happen if they went down or how that would happen. So, honestly, I have no idea. I wish I did. Bowman Orange asks, If you could have only one watch in your entire life, which one would it be? Probably that 1815. Again, still. But perhaps also, and I, I tried this for the first time at Watches and Wonders and really liked it, the Chapek Antarctique. That's a gorgeous watch. Adrian Ohaha asks, do you have any other hobbies? Uh, yes, I do. I like uh, cars, I like hi-fi, I like astrophotography, uh, and I also like writing. Clement Durand asks, are you benefiting from being in the Richemont Group? This is a really interesting one because I think a lot of people have assumptions on how this works. And the reality is, is that by and large, we are left to carry on exactly as we were. Now, we do have obviously uh, easier contacts through to the, the other watchmakers within the Richemont group, but again, they are allowed to operate how they want to. So building relationships with them, earning their trust and uh, getting them to lend us watches is exactly the same as it is for any other brand outside of the group. Finn André asks, this might be off topic, but where are the sheep now? Hang on, I'll look. They're down the other end of the field, but they they might make an appearance at some point. Listen out for them. The Watch Mission asks, what micro brands would you recommend? One of my favorites um, is probably Baltic. Really nice guy, really nice watches and probably best, a really nice attitude. I, I really hope it works out well for him, it appears to be doing very well, and um, great to see someone take on the watch industry like this by themselves. Pierre Castiglioni asks, where do you see the channel in 10 years? That's a really good question actually, because so much has changed in the last 4 or 5 years that we've been running the channel, and no doubt so much will change in the future. What people expect from us has definitely evolved, Um, and I'd like to think that we've been a part of changing people's expectations for watch content too. What it's going to be in the future, it definitely needs to be broader and broader in terms of appeal. Whilst we'll never lose the original show, the original concept, we will be adding more and more to hopefully capture the attention of different audiences who may have just been discovering watches or be discovering them for the first time with that content. My goal with this channel has always been to help people appreciate watches on the level they want to, and to make it really inclusive and not exclusive. So we'll be doing a lot more of that to try and hopefully evolve with the platforms as they grow. Maxjan Karish Official asks, what do you think of Breitling? I've always been on the fence with Breitling. Um, I think there have been massive improvements recently, especially with the Premier Heritage Chrono Collection. There are some really, really nice pieces in there that I really, really like. Thebendut asks, how much is too much for a watch collection? That's entirely up to you. For me, having more than one watch feels like an excess. But for other people, 10, 20, 30, it's entirely down to what you want and what your budget will realistically allow, without being ridiculous. Mega Megacoche asks, what's a watch you've always wanted to review but haven't been able to so far? Really, I'd broaden this to some brands that we haven't been able to review. Or MB&F, Grubel people like that. They make so few watches that are just immediately sold to customers that they'd never really make it to us. So to move on to the next question, as a bit of a continuation, Horlophile asks, do you allow viewers of the channel to send in their own watches for you to show on your channel? Yes, we do. Um, obviously, we have access to a large number of watches, uh, from affordable to expensive so we're not really looking to borrow any watches like that. But if you do have a Grubel Forsey or an Orverk or something of that ilk, let us know. We would really like to feature that watch on the channel. You can email us at mycollection@watchfinder.com. at watchfinder.com. JF2015 asks, How long is a piece of string? Twice as long as half its length. Johnny024 asks, Do you ever get watch fatigue where some videos become a chore to make? Absolutely, and not necessarily down to being bored of watches. But sometimes the workday is long and you're tired, and doing more work is hard. But overall, the passion has only really increased. If anything, over time there may be dips and troughs, but the trend is definitely upwards. Tejazwi Kashyap asks, "What's the truth behind your price match guarantee?" Now, the really tricky thing with a price match guarantee on pre-owned stock is there are a lot of different factors to consider. But assuming that the watch you're price matching to is the same make, the same model, the same condition, has the same accessories, similar year, as long as it's close, then you've got a pretty good chance. You can obviously understand that if it's very different in those respects, that price matching might be tricky. CW17AMS asks, Tudor Black Bay 58 or Black Bay Pro? Ooh, that's a hard one. I really, really like my Black Bay 58, and I like the Black Bay Pro too, and there are some things I prefer, but also some things that I like less. It's a little thicker. I like the turning bezel of the 58. I prefer the dial design of the Pro. I prefer the crown on the Pro. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. CGR88 asks, What is the best watch for an Elden Lord? I know Mr. Talking Hands has played it. I haven't actually got to Elden Ring yet. I'm still working my way through Demon Souls. Um, but something light and slim that increases iframes would be my preference. Leo K asks, What in your opinion makes Rolex a more desirable brand than Omega? One of the really big differences between the two, something I touched upon earlier, is that Rolex is much more consolidated. It's much easier to navigate. You can choose, Do I want the Daytona Chronograph? Do I want the GMT? Do I want the Diver Submariner? And then you go down in there and configure. With Omega, the Seamaster collection is so wild and varied. You can have a chronograph for any different design. And while some people might say, yeah, good, it gives you more choice. For me, it's bewildering. And I really struggle to pick one that I think I prefer over the others. Just blue. JustBlueAllen asks, Did you bring back any freebies or merch from Watches and Wonders? Um, there's probably a bit of a misconception about the freebies that you get from brands at shows like this. Certainly for people like me. Uh, USB sticks with press kits on? Maybe a a small box of chocolates. Probably the best thing that we got, that my wife now has from Oris, is a a jumper with the Oris bear on the front. But that's about it. Ploskas asks, What are your thoughts on the Code 1159 from AP?" i I'm mixed on that one. I think I like it. I don't love it. But I think I like it. I like what they're trying to do. I like that it's different. I like they're trying something new and brave, and not just sticking to what they know but it doesn't grab my attention in a, in a really strong way either. I don't know, maybe I'll warm to it over time, maybe it's a bit ahead of its time. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Jeriel XT asks, what movements have you personally seen that contain the epitome of ultra-high finishing? Um, Grand Seiko's Cradle certainly one of them. Handling the Ichi 2 was really uh, quite a shock to see just how much further high-end finishing can go. Ferdinand too, as well, I uh, experienced those for the first time at Watches and Wonders. Supposedly they make 30 watches a year, uh, with the finishing taking up the vast majority of the time on each, and it it really can tell. Looking at those under high magnification is mind-blowing. GB Vicenio asks, When will you take your show on the road? Stateside? Well, keep your ear to the ground, because... well, keep your ear to the ground. And finally, Sumed asks, or rather says, show us your face. Now, here's a question back to you guys. Would you like to see our faces? Do you think our videos would be better with our faces in them? Do you think that would be better for the channel overall? And if you can't wait for that, my face has been posted. You just have to know where to look. Thank you very much for all your questions. Um, it's been really a pleasure to go through them all and answer some of them. And we look forward to talking to you again in the very near future. Please do subscribe and see you next time. Bye bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands.